Today, we're going back to the basics and back to pretty much step one of the Data Engineers Pipeline, talking about data ingest. I'm joined once again by Sean, and this time also by Shield Troxy, to talk the hows of data ingest and the hidden and not so hidden intricacies of data ingest in this episode of Data Aware, a podcast about all things data engineering. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Data Aware podcast. I am joined once again by the illustrious Sean Knapp. Sean, how's it going? It's going fantastic. How are you, Leslie? I'm doing very, very well on this. For us, I don't know when you guys will listen to it, but for us, it's a Monday evening. So doing well, can't complain. Especially because we have... Well, I would call him one of my favorite ascenders, but I really love everybody that we work with. But I do enjoy talking with our special guest today, who would be Shiel Choksi. So hello, Shiel. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Sean. <laughs> How are you? If you guys don't remember Shiel, Shiel um, was on a couple of our episodes last season. Shiel um, was actually a customer who decided to jump to the dark side once he <laughs> used to send and joined us on our field team. Um, and now he works hand in hand with a lot of our customers, helping them be successful. So love Shiel. Shiel always has great stories and great insights. And so always enjoy talking to him. So yeah, Shiel, if you want to give any kind of more insight on yourself there and introduce yourself to the, to the people, please feel free. Oh, sure. No, I thought that was pretty great. Covered all the bases there. But, you know, as Leslie mentioned, uh, you know, the fun part of being able to now see it from the customer side is just see a lot more patterns very quickly. So instead of just, you know, here's one thing that we did at my previous company and here's how we decided to solve those problems. Uh, now we just be able to take those patterns and scale them out of, okay, what works uh, across five or 10 customers? And, you know, what are the, what are the best practices uh, as determined by actual success and failure rates out in the field? So that gives me great joy to be able to see that, learn from that, and then, and then share them with others. Woohoo! I love it. That's why we like talking to Sheil. And that is why Sheil and Sean are going to be phenomenal for this episode, because if y'all haven't kind of figured out yet, now that we're a few episodes into season two, we're starting season two with a little bit of a back to the basics around data engineering and talking a little bit about some of the essentials, if you will, around data engineering. We've talked a little bit at this point about orchestration. We've talked a little bit about automation. And today we're going to dive into what one of the like very basics around data engineering, one of the very first things that you're going to have to do, which is really data ingest. And so hearing from both Sean and Shiel is going to be really fantastic around that. So I'm going to ask what is going to come across like a really dumb question, but I want both of your perspectives on this one. It's going to sound like a dumb question, but it's not because I think it's probably a little bit more complex than some people may think it is. And that's why I want both of your perspectives. But what exactly is data ingestion? Because it sounds really simple, but I think it could also, there's a lot of, I think, nuance to some different pieces of it as well. Sean, you're up first. 
make you go first. Team Mia first. What is data ingest? I mean, it might be, you know, only because it's, I don't know, it's getting closer to, to dinner time uh, for us all as we record this. But I was thinking, I was like, you know, data ingest is sort of like, you know, having to eat your veggies. It's kind of like, you can't really get to the rest of the cool data engineering things until, until you get through that piece. And probably doesn't make a ton of sense, but I think the, uh, maybe I'm just hungry. Uh, maybe that's all it amounts to. You know, I think when we think about data ingest in, in the simplest form, it is the thing usually between, you know, your idea and you getting to applying your idea. Uh, and more often than not, it boils down to getting data from some other system, whether it's an API, a queue, a lake, a warehouse, you name it, into your system where you can then really start to go to work on that data. And I think they, the reason why I describe it as, you know, eating your veggies is it's oftentimes where it's not really like the most fun and exciting thing. I don't think most engineers wake up, you know, in the morning are like, you know what I really want to do today? I want to write another connector to connect into another system, get access to some more data. Like it's just not the same level of, of excitement, but it is the thing that I think you really do have to solve for uh, to get to the really good stuff. Yep. Makes sense. Shiel. What no, I was just thinking while Sean was talking about that, I was like, sometimes it makes sense to go first uh, to make sure that not everything's covered already. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's also because she was vegetarian that I really went to the You know, that's the other thing. She'll like, so like, like eating veggies. your vegetables. I'm like, uh, that's, that is dinner. But, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, I think I, I like to focus specifically on the, the system aspect that, that you mentioned and, and using a generic term like that where data is spread out across all these different systems. As you mentioned, it might be APIs, which typically to me means, you know, SaaS services, you know, maybe your Salesforce data or maybe your email marketing data. Um, it's sitting in those systems, it's sitting in your own custom built systems, which might be backed by databases and warehouses. Um, and it's really just moving it to another system. And the real fact of that is that the other system is just the one that you feel the most comfortable with of doing your other data processing work. That might be your warehouse, that might be your database, that might even be your own queue with your own custom built app. It's just that you want everything standardized and you want it in your system that you've picked. Um, and that's really how I look at as data ingestion is arbitrary systems to just one particular system. Uh, and then that's where you get to then standardize and work with it in just more of a symmetric manner because you've done the work of asymmetric systems and now you have all the tools at hand. Makes sense. And it goes into, I think, what both of you are saying to some degree. And I guess where I'm thinking of the nuance of it as well is data ingest isn't a one and done, to your point. It's not a, I ingest, well, I guess it could be, depending on what your systems look like and what your architecture is and, and what you're trying to do. but for the vast majority of things, for the vast majority of people, it's not a one and done. And there are different approaches for different things. Like you're going to have people who have real-time streaming systems and their ingest is going to look a whole lot different than you have for batch-based systems. Um, and even with batch systems, you're going to have things like incremental data um, and incremental processing, and you're going to have different things that you have to take care of in that regard. And I feel like ingest... And what you do with ingest for that looks different than it does in maybe other systems. Talk to me a little bit about that. Shu, you want to go first this time? 
You know, I was just thinking, sometimes it makes sense to go second so that there's some precedent set. <laughs> 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 what are you doing here? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah I, I do think the, you know, the show highlights, right? It, a lot of this really comes down to you're trying to pull data from some arbitrary system into another system that I would contend is just slightly less arbitrary as it's another system that you yourself happen to be comfortable with and usually want to work with larger aggregated data sets together. And I think the, the thing is, every category of data system that you are going to connect to will exhibit different behavioral characteristics and then fundamentally has very different ways as to how you're, you're replicating that data and how you're actually reconstituting that data into a workable model on the other side. For example, uh, APIs have very different and interesting characteristics than a lake. Uh, if I'm reading data from a lake, almost always a really large distributed system, I can hit it with as many parallel access layers as I want. I can stream through incredible volumes of data all in parallel. Whereas if I'm hitting an API, the limits and the restrictions uh, are, are very different and they may vary depending on you know, whether it's my Facebook API or my Omniture API or even an internal proprietary API. Uh, and so each one has different access patterns where I may have to put in different control models in place to make sure that I can get that data to the other side. I know, show you've actually been over the course of the last number of years that have seen uh, many of our different customers having to work their way around a bunch of these different patterns tied to these, as well as, you know, when we think about warehouses and databases and CDC. What's your take on this? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, and, and that's why I love the, just the, the data ingestion part is dealing with the asymmetry. And then once you're in your system, then you've got it symmetric. And so, you know, just an example that you mentioned of pulling from APIs into the lake, you know, the lake's going to have that great throughput, you know, the APIs aren't. And so your job is to really do that data ingestion gently for the API, pull the data that you need, and then get it into that lake format so that you can do the rest of the work downstream of data ingestion, you know, the transform, where else it needs to go, things like that, um, using your, your lake semantics. Uh, I think how you do that intermediate part, though, um, from, in this case, API to lake is, is fascinating, right? We, we also see a huge number of patterns there where, where some people might do it through uh, more of a stream style. So um, on a clock, they maybe hit um, the API, but then pull those individual records and send them into a queue. Others we see maybe, you know, do a batch style in there of grab those records, immediately write them to a file and upload them into the lake. So now you've got batches and you're dealing with that more of um, that kind of architecture. Um, we'll see folks multiplex across these, you know, perhaps there's some real-time use cases for some of the data. And so maybe like a queue or a stream might be better, um, as well as maybe there's historical and archive and batch methods for it. Uh, and so I think it's not only the subtleties of the ingest systems, but also how you're going to do the ingest. Uh, and then ultimately, I think all of this is for both your system of record where you're doing the downstream work as well as the business use cases past that. You know, what does the business need from this data? Do they need to see it real time? Do they need to see live charts because it's like part of operational data sets that are, you know, giving live feedback to people? Does it actually just provide analytical value. Um, so it needs to be accurate, but it needs to be on a much slower cadence. Um, and there's a lot more forgiving nature there of um, what can be done. So I, I think 
you know, you kind of stack all of that up together, and then all of a sudden, that data ingest that we just defined so simply, I think, becomes a bit of a bit of a combinatorial problem of how to solve it. Well, on that front, I always like asking. Well, maybe not the specific question. Cause the first time we did like talked about ingest quite like this. I always like asking questions like this, especially when we have Shield, you or somebody like you on the line, which is, what is the biggest corner that you've either because you done this. I mean, it's something that you did before you came to work here. And so what is the biggest corner either you've painted yourself into, or you've seen a customer paint themselves into when it comes to ingest? And that goes to basically what roadblocks can people expect or what things should people be thinking about? Because it's, it may be like eating your veggies. It's something that you have to do. And it I don't think people think it's simple, but it's certainly something that can cause issues. We'll leave out, you know, names to protect the innocent, but... Um, yes, please. <laughs> uh, you know, essentially the biggest theme that I see is when using these uh, services that all have trade-offs um, in ways that are typically not optimizing for what their strengths are and instead using them for their weaknesses. So for example... You know, in a queue-based system, uh, queues are awesome for uh, re more real-time nature, streaming things through individual records, and then actually maybe trying to use um, a queue as either part of control logic. So instead of the records actually flowing through the queue, trying to send through like, hey, this file over here in S3 is like ready. Okay, like read that off of a queue and then process that file and then send into another queue. And, you know, you end up hitting the limitations of really what a queue was designed for, um, of like, expected times for you to act the message versus right. when the message gets pushed back and things like that. Um, whereas, you know, maybe that was a better off uh, fit for maybe like an orchestration tool with, you know, some more big data tools for because the data was already in the files um, or vice versa. You know, sometimes we'll see that people want, you know, fast record streaming because they do have real time use cases, maybe to the sub milliseconds and things like this. S3 is fantastically capable at doing very low latency operations. Uh, and so sometimes we'll see folks just use very, very small files into S3 because they're looking for that real-time latency. So instead of using like a queue, which is, for example, a great fit for this kind of streaming use case, they'll instead just be like, well, why don't we just every 50 milliseconds just upload the latest records into a new file in S3? Um, and then somebody else could read that in. Yeah, and um, all of a sudden, right, S3's strengths are being able to very quickly send back bytes, get and put operations, things like this. But now all of a sudden we're relying on S3 to essentially do the number of metadata operations as our actual data operations because the, the size of the files are too small. Um, we've broken conventions of big data processing because we've created so many files. Um, a lot of big data systems assume that listing files is going to be relatively cheap compared to the actual data processing of those files. But again, if all of a sudden the files mainly just contain a couple of records, then you've, again, created metadata operations the same size as your actual data operations. So we'll just see a lot of these patterns where these tools can be so compelling up to a point, but fundamentally there's always these trade-offs. Um, and so we definitely want to analyze the, you know, are we using the right tool for the right use cases and the right trade-offs that we're looking for? Yeah. So with that, it, we've talked a lot about, to this point, obviously, ingest. That's what we came here to talk about today. And we're talking a lot about the ways that you're ingesting and what you're ingesting from. 
But for those who maybe are looking at this in as kind of an introductory of data engineering or aren't maybe as well versed in some of these things, talk, let's back up a step. Let's take even one step higher level and talk to us about some of the classifications of data, where you're ingesting from, can records be modified? Can they be appended? Like what, what is the data? How do you ingest different data, different ways that that sort of thing. And then maybe we dive in a little bit further on each one of those. Cause I think we're having a really great conversation about some of this stuff, but maybe we skipped over some of the, the one-on-one level to get down to the two and three one levels. Yeah, that's definitely something that I think can be helpful for folks is, you know, let's boil it down to some of the most common patterns that we see too. Much better uh, way of putting it, yeah. Which are, you know, if I had to kind of guess from what I've seen, uh, you know, the three or four most common places that the people are generally ingesting data from are uh, APIs, databases, warehouses, and likes, not necessarily in that order. But when we start to think about how each one of those behave, you know, probably hopefully go through those. And, and it's interesting because against that backdrop, so much of, I think, the behavior of how you ingest data from those systems to replicate the, the data model in, in your internal system, I think so much of that can come from, you know, what really boils down to a basic question of, are the records immutable or not? Uh, if the records never change, if the data doesn't change, but is only ever appended to, you end up then employing pretty different patterns for how you try and ingest data versus how uh, you would if those records are actually mutated uh, and modified over time. And there's a, a handful, I think, other ways of slicing this too, but oftentimes, and we find, you know, show, as, as we help customers first go through those ingestion steps, that's like the first thing is, you know, if I take a database, for example, what's the nature of the records in the, in the table? Are they append only or are they, actually mutated. For example, if they're customer address records, they're going to be mutated and modified. Uh, if there are purchases, hopefully they're not modified. Uh, still actually can be and probably are in most yeah, actual often systems, are, but depending on how people modeled it. Yeah. Yep. But the, the notion behind that is, you know, if I'm looking at a database, I know, for example, a database generally can't be hammered super hard by a distributed big data system. There, it, it can definitely be hit pretty hard, but not as hard as a warehouse or a lake, for example. Uh, when I'm looking at a table inside of a database, if I need to replicate those records, you know, there's, there's a couple of different models that work for ingestion. You're looking for other, uh, do I have access to a CDC string? You know, in, in uh, databases, oftentimes it's a bin log or some other transaction log that you're looking for that, can, that you can read from and replicate off of all changes. Or, Oftentimes you're just looking for something that's a little bit more simple, which is are there auto incrementing IDs and last modified times? I would say for anybody designing a database table today, if you're using a, a typical database, at least add auto incrementing IDs and last modified times and probably created at times and a handful of other things too. But that would help tremendously any simple layer that's trying to replicate your data, especially if you don't want to go to the next layer of complexity, which is generally a, a CDC string. So I think we, we tend to see using databases as an example, that's a, a pretty common sort of set of patterns of, you know, for an external system connecting into it, 
frankly, how does it find not just a snapshot of the data, but then how does it continually watch and listen for new data that is becoming available or data that's changing? Yeah, and I think that touches on a big piece of data ingestion, which we haven't actually talked about yet, which is uh, creating incremental versions of the data ingest. Because you know, certainly with all of these methods uh, or all of these sources, um, queues, APIs, uh, databases, you can pull a lot of records back. You know, queues maybe the records are more temporal, but you know, a lot of times databases they'll have the full set of data there. So yes, you could do data ingestion by just pulling the full data set. But most of the time, what people are looking to then work on and build is finding that incremental nature of it. So I think with databases, you cover pretty much you know, all the standard patterns that, that we see there. Queues tend to be a little bit more straightforward since you keep a cursor normally, a marker of your last acknowledged and last uh, streamed in message, and then just pull all new messages since then. Um, and ties back to your point about mutability. You know, um, Queues have frameworks for how you mutate records. You know, For example, here's a record restated with the same primary key, um, but most distributed queues like Kafka, Kinesis, things like this um, are append only. So the ingest and the incrementality of it is, is quite a bit simpler there as well, where you're just pulling those in. Some complexities with Kafka of like tombstoning records and um, you know, if you're using higher level abstractions there, but um, for the most part. I think APIs is one there where it gets a little bit fuzzy though. Yeah, I see Sean smiling. <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets fun, right? Like it, with, with, so with APIs, we inject a handful of other elements here. And, and you know, we see this from a lot of customers who are like, hey, APIs are really interesting, but for example, I oftentimes am rate limited or I can only, and number of queries I can make per second and per day. And or, hey, at some point in time, I lose granularity of my data. Maybe I can get ultra granular data for the last, 30 days, but beyond that window, I only have access to summary uh, information from the API, so I can't even access that old data. How do you see people solving for that, Shield? Because that, that does introduce some behaviors kind of similar to CDC streams oftentimes, kind of similar to queues at other times, but unique because it's an API. I think I may have talked about this the last time I was here as well, but I am a data hoarder. Um, and I encourage people to become data hoarders as well. Uh, and, and it's for exactly those reasons that you just mentioned where, you know, you either, for a lot of these sources, you either pull it and have it um, or you lose it to the, the sands of time. Um, APIs are a fantastic example of this where even if an API allows you to fetch the current state of everything, very few APIs are even going to let you uh, fetch how things were before. All right, and, and you have to kind of keep that. Or uh, the version that they let you fetch um, maybe doesn't have all the fields that you need, um, and maybe you needed to enrich it against a different API request. And those types of things are uh, essentially lost if you, if you don't you know, hoard it. Um, and so uh, strategy number one there is absolutely figure out what you need and how to get it. And you know, granted, if you're just starting this practice, then Strategy number two is acknowledge that you won't necessarily have full fidelity. Um, it's very hard to pull off with a project that is going um, to have full fidelity of all historical information. And so just kind of embracing that. So for your historical, maybe you are going to be able to fetch it from one other endpoint and it's going to have, you know, 80% of the data that, that you need. Um, and then going forward, you know, now that you're you're ingesting and you're hanging on to it, you know, you can employ strategy number one there. Um, so that's, that's the first part, given that these APIs are changing. Um, the second part is that 
it's often worth grabbing more than you need because it is very painful to go back and get it later. That's not true of necessarily a warehouse or a lake or a database even, but that is very true of an API. So for example, I always suggest, hey, just pull in the full response body and let's go ahead and take the full set of records and fields that we've got and save them, um, You know, assuming that compliance and everything we're okay with there. Because then if we ever actually needed another field downstream for some use case, right, we're just going back to our system where we've done the ingest, um, back to our familiar place, um, as opposed to creating a much harder problem of, ah, now we need to go back and fetch this data historically, which might be a big period, and then all those rate limits and um, throughput problems that we, that we just mentioned. Uh, so kind of still ties into the data hoarder strategy, but it has to do with really that tail part of data ingest which is as you're putting it into your canonical system, into your uh, system that you control, you know, how much are you bringing in and how much are you letting go? I think we've talked through this piece of it a little bit in different aspects of what you guys have both talked about. But to just break it down for somebody who is literally just trying to build their first pipeline, out there. <laughs> and it's it, to your point, though, it's probably also different depending on where you're trying to pull data from. But are there some generic kind of steps that people should think about when it comes to ingest and, and kind of like, a, I guess, maybe a checklist of things to consider and think about when it comes to ingest of we need to just make sure that these five things are checked off the list before we move forward. And there may not be, but. I think the, you know, probably some of the the simplest and straightforward ones are, you know, when we think of, I want to go build a system that's going to do some ingest, uh, you know, the, the most basic ones are, do I have the code that can connect obviously to this external system? And, you know, something that, that I literally just ran through uh, with one of our customers is we put in a bunch of tooling around not just the connector code, uh, but the ability to test and validate connections. You know, everything from uh, the other uh, viable credentials to can we uh, look up the entity on DNS to can you create a TCP connection to can you actually log in and authenticate to the system, whichever system it is. But generally, the can you connect, find and connect the system you want to read from. Uh, and I think that's important because even though we're, we're you know, increasingly in a cloud world, there are still a lot of networking safeguards in place with most companies that can block access, at, even at lower networking levels to individual systems. So a lot of it just comes down to, to access. Uh, can you connect the thing you're trying to get access to? I think the next big one that, that we usually recommend for folks is before you get fancy, just go grab all of the data. Or if there's incredible large amounts of, of data, grab a, a subset a sampling of that data. But it usually boils down to make sure you can just pull in some data because you'll start to see different uh, behavioral characteristics of the systems you're connecting to. For example, uh, some systems are will just fundamentally cap out at how much how, and how fast the data you can read from uh, that system. Some may cap out at 100 records a second. Some may give you a thousand, some may give you hundreds of thousands of records a second. Just depends on how they store records, how they can stream it back. And then 
obviously once you're you're capturing that data, you do need to write it somewhere. And so that then that would be the last part is just make sure you can get it properly ingested, preserve it, you know, as Sheila highlighted, uh, preserve the uh, structure of the data, don't drop columns or records, make sure you can actually map from that one system to the new system, that the data types match, that the column types match, et cetera. And that's really the basics first. Then you can start to get into a lot of the fanciness of how do you make it more efficient? How do you read faster? How can you parallelize, et cetera? But that's really where I would say it first starts. Sure, what, are you, what are your thoughts? I think so. And and maybe as part of that second level would be um, how to do it incrementally, mm-hmm. how to how to monitor it, um, you know, all the kind of day two stuff um, after that. But absolutely. And I think what you touched on there is, um, it's funny, it's so philosophically embedded in, in how we think about it, but how you're writing it to that that second system, your your canonical system is is so critical. Um, the more you do um, in between when you're pulling the records and before you insert them is all temporal. So the business logic there, the how you decide to save it, the how you decide to parse timestamps, all of that essentially is in flight. And, and I almost think of it as at risk. Like if, for example, if you're pulling it from an API, and you decide that they look like proper ISO 8601 time formats, and you decide to parse them and put them in as timestamps, but they actually weren't consistently that. Um, so a bunch of them don't parse, and now you have a bunch of nulls in that column. You know how much you trust that upstream data set, and how much you do in that data ingestion step is really going to um, affect your abilities um, after that. So I, I, I even recommend, as Sean's saying, keep it simple. Go really lightweight. Like if you're not sure, maybe all the types are actually just strings for now, because um, then at least you know that's your your safe format, and at least you can bring it in, view it, audit it, play with it, transform it later, whereas you don't box yourself in a corner like we were talking about earlier with Leslie. So I, you know, just keep it simple, get it going in. Um, it's it's really the the beginnings of everything. So there are a lot of maybe not a lot, but there are multiple vendors out there, including us, that offer connectors that will help you more easily ingest, get from point A to point B. What are some things that you would recommend people consider when they're looking at somebody to help them do that so that they're not, it's not somebody who's coding the connector themselves. They're not writing the connector themselves. They're not having to do this, everything themselves. They're going to somebody and saying, let me use this connector to get from S3 to Snowflake or whatever it might be. What would you recommend? What are maybe the three or five things that you would recommend people look for? Or are there any red flags that you would recommend people look out for when they are looking at a vendor that offers connectors like that? I'd say probably a couple. I mean, you know, one that is certainly the flexibility that, that you're afforded with mm-hmm. their set of connectors. And, you know, oftentimes there's going to be a ton of, of really common ones that you're going to want to, you know, tackle with out-of-the-box, pre-configured, ready-to-go connectors. You know, I want to read from S3 or BigQuery, right? I I think most people will be able to support patterns like that. But then you start to get into, I think, some of the the next layers of complexity. 
uh, that, that do very much matter, right? As you start to peel back a, a few layers, for example, for databases, can the connectors actually uh, support CDC streams? Do they support uh, multiple replication strategies via, for example, uh, last updated at columns? Or can they do things like par uh, parallel reads and writes uh, to optimize for speed and performance? And similarly, can they do snapshots uh, of individual uh, databases? So you have a full complete snapshot at a particular cadence uh, if you can't get a full CDC stream. Uh, so you want a bunch of sort of advanced pieces like that. And then probably for, I would say for, uh, for both warehouses and even lakes, uh, how do they detect changes? Are they fingerprinting data as it's coming through to see if data has been changed? Or are they monitoring for new partitions of data? Uh, so I think that part becomes really important that I, I think I would recommend. And then probably the, you know, the last piece that, that I usually see with folks is, and we get asked this all the time, which is, yeah, but what, what happens when I do need to just write some code? And I think that becomes really important, which is, can you still fall back and cut your own code or are you just stuck? And I do believe that, that that's something where a lot of people can get burned is you find a tool that, that works for most things, but you know, the, the long tail is just simply not possible. Yeah. Totally. I think those are some great use cases. The only thing I would add on is, so a lot of times with these out-of-the-box ones, they're awesome. And as you said, they're very common in Jest sources and 80 to 90% of people have the same use cases for them. So for example, like, oh, I want to grab my Salesforce data or my HubSpot data. Again, 80 to 90% of things that people want to do with them are all the same. However, it is worth vetting. Um, if it works for all the use cases that you have in mind. So for example, I think like in HubSpot in specific, a lot of the pre-built connectors worked on their main objects, but then they started adding more object types. And those weren't necessarily yet supported by the you know, common class of out-of-the-box um, connectors. And so the API had them, but the out-of-the-box connector didn't. And those custom objects might actually be critical for your business and your business use case. And so it is worth you know just vetting that and, and checking that. Not to say that can't come up with a solution, but just so that you know, you know what your options are and what's going to be required. Um, so I'd say that one's pretty common. You know, missed fields, missed tables, things like that are all pretty common. Like, oh, we pulled the standard object, but not custom fields or things like this. Um, so that's one. Two, um, a lot of times there's going to be choices made um, mapping between the systems. So between how um, a SaaS vendor has the data represented and between how it's going to be represented in a warehouse or a lake, there's going to be some decisions made about how that translation occurs. And most of the time, folks will be careful to make sure that there's no data loss um, in that translation, but it's worth just checking again of like, you know, are there the right fields and pieces of data that you need um, as we went through that translation layer. Uh, and then the third thing, which kind of relates to that translation layer as well, is um, does it have the granularity of data that you need? So as Sean was talking about databases and CDC, a very common one is to use CDC to recreate the table as it is. Um, that's the 80 to 90% use case for this. Uh, and so because of that, a lot of these out-of-the-box vendors for something like a Postgres might just use the CDC stream and then deliver into, for example, a lake or a warehouse, the ready-made tables as they stand. However, certain businesses and certain use cases have to do analytics on the actual records as they were changing. For example, how often did a user update their address? 
if you just have the user in their current address, you won't be able to answer the question of how often did the user update their address. Uh, and so, you know, if you fit into the, you know, the common pattern and you just need the table as it stands, fantastic, use that. Um, if you need the snapshots like Sean was mentioning because you need to know what the users look like each day or you need the CDC stream because you need to do that, um, you know, that's again, it's a translation layer that's happening on the out-of-the-box connector and you just have to decide if it's at the right level of abstraction to make sure that you're still able to complete your business use cases. Oh, and one other thing I, I would add too, Shil, you, you, you mentioned another thing too, probably two more is that we get more and more advanced on the uh, data ingestion side. One category is, can it also optimize for the stream or sorry, for the system that you are writing to? So for example, you know, if you're writing into a warehouse, this specific thing wouldn't matter, but if you're writing into a lake, if you're reading really large numbers of small files and you're writing that into a lake that you plan on running Spark jobs on, Spark doesn't like large numbers of small files. And so can your system, your ingestion system also help optimize in a, a lossless uh, way on the data to help prepare that data to be better processed downstream is one that I, I would uh, suggest. Kind of two is as you're ingesting data, can the system as data is moving through also start to build profiles on the data? Because that metadata becomes a really powerful thing to now inform, inform downstream systems on too. So is it is it categorizing? Is it classifying the uh, the ranges and the cardinality of different uh, data sets as they come through and profiling that so you can feed those downstream systems later? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't end after data ingest, does it? No. Like I said, that, that's where you get to the, the, the good stuff. <laughs> Never does. All right. So to wrap this up, I have a final fun slash mostly just totally nonsensical question that both of you have to answer. What's your favorite place to ingest data from? Totally nonsensical. Makes no sense. I know that, but I just want to know. They're both staring at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> just for those of you who, there's no video for y'all. It's just need y'all to thinking, know. You know. They're I feel looking like... at me like, did you really ask that question? Well, like, that... and I ask this because I have been in multiple calls where Sean's done a demo where he always gravitates to the to the Google Sheets read connector for some reason. Mm. And he may not say that today and that's totally fine. He may just really love our particular Google Sheets read connector for what it can do. And that's totally fine. But like, I just feel like I want to know where do you guys really enjoy in particular ingesting data from? I was, I was going to give Shield the, the first shot at this, but uh, I'm taking it. I, I love Google Sheets. Um, <laughs> oh, that's really that might be okay. where we were going. Absolutely. So I like it. And I was thinking back through, because I've you know spent, been spending a bunch of time with customers as of late and watching them pull in data from all sorts of different systems. And there's all sorts of, I think, great other anecdotes that, that Shield can share. But here's the reason why I like Google Sheets is... Most teams have been able to pull together some reasonably, even if they're not happy with it, they can like access the data some way, somehow. Maybe they can't get it fully into their pipelines or in, into their, their warehouses and lakes, but they've seen the data before. The reason why Google Sheets is fun for me is that sheer like glee moment of them being like, oh my God, this other data that we've never 
before unified with our ETL pipelines, because most of them have never done that. This lock unlocks all sorts of other really cool, fun use cases for us. And so it's the, you see the light bulb moment now of not, aha, I can accomplish this, but that light bulb moment of, oh, all of these things now we can go accomplish because we have access to this type of data. That's one of, one of the things that I think I, I really enjoy seeing. I get that. You went in a very different direction than this than I was thinking. I was thinking like, okay, let's pick the one that's that's least temperamental, that just makes life easy. You know, sounds like no APIs. You know, I'm like blob or maybe queues or warehouse. And then the reason I didn't respond, I was like, I feel like this is a trap, you know, because all of a sudden it's blob, not a trap. you know, sometimes it's like everyone's like, oh, they're just CSVs. I'm like, oh, they're just CSVs. However like half the time they're not escaped correctly or <laughs> like, you know, there's just always stuff to deal with. So I was like, no, wait, no, not blob. It's blobs well behaved from a throughput, but not from necessarily like anyone can do anything with it. Um, so then I started reading to go with parquet. You know, I was like, I got to tighten up my requirements here. Uh, you know, well-formed parquet files in blob, you know, like, wow, wow, what a, what a data source. No, um, that's probably a little too boring. I'm going to go with queues. And I, I really like ingesting from really? queues because I do think they're, um, they have semantics at, at the level of ingest, similar to blobs or warehouse, like of there's, there's semantics as to how you're supposed to get the data, the throughput that they support. Um, they're all like kind of well-known and, the reason I like it is because of certainly, you know, having some standards is always nice, it's something to, to build against. But uh, it, it's funny sometimes when folks get so caught up on queues being a real-time system, but then actually also have to do some batch work often. Uh, and so having a reliable system to even be able to ingest from queues, make batch out of it so that analytical workloads that are more batch-driven can, can happen from that, that's kind of an exciting thing. And sometimes it just helps people bridge the gap of, you know, these worlds don't have to be isolated. I like it. I can appreciate that. Well, thank you both much for um, taking some time this evening to talk about data ingest with me. Um, I hope you all enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And um, Sheil, you have once again passed the test. So I'm sure we will invite you back. So, yeah. I know. You just never know with you. We're, we're just never totally sure with you, but you did it again. Barely, barely, barely. It was that last question where you, you answered Q and not parquet files and blog. So that, that was where it was going to tip one way or the other. So, all right. Thanks, y'all. Honestly, I would love to hear where you all enjoy ingesting data from. So feel free to reach out over Twitter, either at ascend underscore IO or to me personally at Leslie D. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-D. You never really know what you're gonna hear and it's super interesting to hear why. Whether it's because of the challenges you have to overcome or the fun ways that you can then work with and mutate the data once you get it into the pipeline, everyone's experience is a little different and it's always a super cool journey to hear. Also, as always, if you have any questions about data ingest or anything else that you're hearing on the podcast, you can certainly reach out about that as well. Welcome to a new era of data engineering.